Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and we have a really important and interesting podcast for you today. I'm very pleased to say we have Emmy Misha Weinstock on, the founder of Reveled Up. Reveled Up is a branding and event marketing boutique that is creating change in the world by connecting social impact companies to their audience through immersive events and creative business narratives. Welcome to the show, Emmy. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thanks so much for being here. What we're really going to talk about today, you know, of course, I'm a sustainability professional and we're always talking about the three legs of the stool. We look at the economic, the environmental and the equity side. And I think having just come back from the American Planning Association's National Planning Conference, you know, one of the themes that continues to emerge, and this is previous years as well, but we heard it a lot again this year, is just the equity how do we do it how do we do a better job of engaging everyone at the local level into our planning decisions or implementation of our projects how do we give everyone a voice and that's what we're going to talk about today and emmy i know you have some really interesting insights on this so why don't we start off kind of i don't want to say easy (laughs) because i know this is not an easy topic but maybe it's more kind of basic you know why is this equity piece such a hard nut to crack. Yeah, I mean, I think when we start to think about equity, um, we think about it, there there are kind of two ways to think about it. Um, There's the way of, you know, let's equitably, let's let's bring everyone to the table. Let's get everyone's opinion, um, you know, that lives in our community or that we engage with and interact with. That's one piece, right? Um, And then there's another piece where we talk about um, how do we make sure that everyone is at the starting line together, right? And so so there's equity in terms of engagement, and then there's equity in terms of, um, you know, a balancing of everyone starting off around the same point. And I think what happens with equity, with everyone starting at the same point, you have a lot of individuals who are like, well, I, I have, I live in a good neighborhood. I worked hard. I was able to be in this good neighborhood. Um, why do I need to give up what I have in order for someone else to be able to, to benefit, right? Why, why should I take what I have in order to give someone else? Um, and there's also, there's this idea of zero sum. And so there's only enough for some of us to have. I happen to get it. Sorry for you that you were not able to have it. Well, what happens with that is along the lines, um, someone is going to essentially miss out or, or start to be impacted by the negative things that this other group that doesn't have is impacted by. So, if, for example, 
let's say that we have a neighborhood that has a lot of pollution and it has low property taxes. It's not bringing in the city government a lot of money. Um, the schools are old, decrepit buildings. Um, you have water that may have some lead in it. And you're like, well, that's too bad. But, you know, we worked hard to keep our neighborhood clean and, and property taxes high. Well, eventually, the water that may be polluted is going to run into the wealthier part of town's water source, right? The pollution may move over to the wealthier part of town's um, air and, and impact air quality. So my point is that, like, you can only do so well if you have any part of your community doing poorly. So the whole thing, the whole thing, right, it trickles. And so that's why thinking about equity is about really paying attention to the long game. And so we want to think about if we do start to have equity from across the board at the beginning, then we can keep everyone from being negatively impacted because eventually the people who, you know, the people who are in the nicer neighborhoods are going to be impacted by these negative environmental um, forces. So it is in our best interest to not only think about equity from an engagement and bringing everyone to the table, but also thinking about these social solutions that can create environmental um, and economic equity as well. So as a scientist, of course, you know, for me, I'm always thinking about things on an ecosystem basis, right? Everything is about a balance. And as you said, this kind of zero sum game, I mean, when I think about, say, greenhouse gas emissions in the air, of course, we need greenhouse gas emissions so that we can have life on this planet. So we stay warm. But when we start getting an imbalance, there's too many, then that's when you start having problems. And it's it's almost like the same thing here on the social side. It, it's it's a systems thinking. It's we're all one ecosystem that that works together. So that's exactly right. I think we get into this idea that um, it, there has to be some type of imbalance all the time in order for us to live. Um, in order to have society live like, well, that's just how it is. Some people have and some people don't. Um, and I think that if we get down into being intentional and deep diving into um, authentically deep diving in, into understanding why equity exists and why it doesn't exist, then we can really figure out ways to balance, right? So when I talk about authentically deep diving, um, think about if you were dieting. And if you diet, all you do for a certain limited amount of time is that you withdraw from whatever you were eating that was making you happy at some point. That's how I, I see dieting. <laughs> it's really that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I see dieting. Um, although, now, if you want to have more impactful change to your livelihood and authentic change, you change your way of life. You, you, you don't take away things that make you happy. You figure out a way that you can equally balance making yourself happy and making yourself healthy, right? Mm -hmm. That's that equity. How do I create equally being happy and equally being healthy? That's, an, that's one way of looking at equity from an internal personal perspective. From outside, you know, we can look at it as how do I create equity with the people who are in my uh, town, Right. And some people are going to live on another part of town and they're not going to have the best environment. Maybe they don't have um, garbage disposal or waste disposal the way they should. Maybe um, their water, um, their water quality is not the way it should. So how do we so we may be happy 
right? But are we going to be healthy in the long run? Mm -hmm. If we look at it, if we take that kind of paradigm and we think about it from a community perspective. Um, And so that's what I encourage, you know, people I work with to think about, like, where is the equity coming into play? And it's not just about getting people to the table. It's also also about considering once you get them to the table, how to authentically have a conversation where they know their interests are being listened to. Hmm. Interesting. So one of the things that I find so interesting about the work you do is kind of the link to events. It's almost Mm -hmm. like, you know, using event-based marketing is a big thing right now, but you're kind of looking at it from a different perspective. So share with us kind of what what it is you tell a client, you know, who's coming to you, they want to create an event that's inclusive and engaging. Like what is that guidance or is there a process that you walk them through? Yeah. And so this goes along the lines of, of what I was talking about. Like, so, so I ask clients, what, why are they looking to be um, engaged with um, their community? Or what are they looking for um, in terms of community engagement? And so I talk to them about what is the outcome they're looking for? Who do you want to be speaking to, who do you want to impact, um, and why is that important to you? And and again, it's not just the surface why, like, well, it's important, you know, the federal grant says that I have to be paying attention to this number of people in my community that are at this economic level, you know, um, because those are real. I mean, don't get me wrong, those are real, however, right, when you go a little deeper down, is it because you want to make sure that you do have environmental or economic sustainability, that you do have individuals, because remember, when, when one person comes up, the whole group kind of really comes up, and that's not, that's not even like, that's a truth, right? The water level just rises. Um, and so, so if that's the case, if that's why you're really looking to get engaged, um, then that's what we try to, you know, that's what I try to determine with them. What are the whys that you're, that you're looking to get to um, when you're looking to get this engagement? And then I ask them about equity and justice. And I ask them how are they promo- promo- excuse me, promoting and supporting both throughout the community? Because when you, if you're asking these questions why, then that will help you to get to why you're promoting this engagement. So once they've answered that question of, um, you know, the why, then I ask them to think about equity and justice. And what is the out, is the outcome about equity or is it about justice or is it about both? Um, and I, and I ask them to, and that's part of the deep why, and I, I ask them those questions because if it's just about making sure everybody's on the same page, equi- equitable engagement, and that's where we're stopping, then, okay, that's, that's as far as we'll go. And, and they know that about what their goals are. However, if it's about justice, then we're going to sit down and really think about how to deep dive and how to pull out those answers through um, through events, through different types of formatted events. Um, and through those different formatted events, then we'll sit down and talk about, um, we'll ask the participants, how do they want to be engaged? How do they want to be supported? How do they think that justice is happening? Um, and, and those will be specific types of events that really work to have equitable engagement from these community members. Um, and that feedback is gold. 
that's what you want. And that's what's going to get you to justice. But it's really important to have that starting point of understanding what is the outcome you want and why you want that outcome. So as you know, I work with local governments and, you know, because I do sustainability work, we often have a tiny budget <laughs> to work mm -hmm. with and have a big planning process that they want under, you know, undertaken. And then it's like this tiny budget for community engagement. Yeah. Um, so I have tried to get creative and say, hey, you know, we're not going to get the numbers. Um, we will do our best. We will, you know, work hard. But I, I'm, I try to focus more on getting a representative sample, kind of looking at four different types of demographics within the community, everything from age to socioeconomic status to even just what neighborhood they're in or ethnicity. Um, you know, I'd be curious to get your reaction to that approach. And then just in general, you know, what are some of these common mistakes that we're making trying to do this outreach efforts? Okay. So I, I think that um, focusing on um, the smaller, just because your numbers are small, does not mean that it's still not quality engagement, right? And I, I do want, um, I want local governments and I want clients. I, I, that is a big thing for me. Just because the, it's not viral and isn't posted all over social media about what an amazing event, you know, because it could be quality um, over quantity. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that if you are able to get um, a group together that does, even though it's small, but does have a, um, a lot of uh, diversity or, or a variety in its demographics, then that is, that is also gold, right? You can sit down and have um, a focus group formatted workshop versus a large, big, um, you know, big um, mixer. You know, so, so there are different ways to take, you know, kind of the lemons that you're given and create some really awesome lemonade. Um, so that, that would be my first kind of um, uh, ideas about getting a small group, because I do think that local governments um, who are thinking, you know, we really sent out these flyers, we didn't get a lot of people, but sometimes those people can give you really in-depth answers that you may not have had time to obtain if there were 25 people in the room versus seven or eight or 10. Um, so, so I would say to take advantage of that and also um, try not to let your disappointment that so few people showed up um, show on your face because there's actually really good stuff that you could get from them, um, from the participants that did show up. And, and it's important to get excited about that because even those individuals have something that as a local government, it, it can absolutely use later on down the road. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the common mistakes that you see um, or these old school approaches, you know, these just don't work? Okay. I would say that yeah, this is a really good question. So there are a, a couple of things, not because there are a whole bunch of mistakes that people are making. That's not to imply that. But I think that there's some wins um, that local governments can do right away that can really get them um, to a really good start. And one of them is not doing the one-off event not thinking that if they have um, one large event, that's sufficient to get community engagement, to get diversity of voices, to get equity. Like, it just doesn't happen. Um, you know, it's, it's continued, sustained growth and also um, proving to your community that you are actively interested in what they have to say. 
right? And so that doesn't just happen if you have a big um, environment day, you know, Earth Day, on, I think it's April 22nd, if you have just mm-hmm. some big Earth Day event in a park and you're like, we're really interested in what you have to say, but we're not going to ask you until next year. You know, like that doesn't that doesn't quite work. Um, and so, and and you might not be it might not be authentically believed by your community members. So I advocate for um, communities, even if their budget is small, have those small events, have those smaller events um, in different sections and parts of town. And don't just leave after 10 minutes when no one shows up because you never know. There might be a dad, a single dad, who's dropping off his child, um, and, and he's going to be running 10 minutes late. You know, so have those smaller events. Um, have them a little more often than once a year. Try to, I would say, plan one every quarter. And then once you get the participants there, ask them how they want to be engaged. Ask them the best way to engage them. Um, you know, that, that, that's one of the best things to do. Um, getting feedback from participants is one of the things that I think that, and, and not just during, post-event as well, right? Because post-event feedback, um, you'll hear a lot of event planners, event designers, event marketers talking about that. Post-event feedback is also gold. And so I would encourage, um, you know, governments or anyone who are having events um, and, and looking for great community engagement, I really encourage them to, to get that feedback every time as much as you can to get that feedback. And I would encourage them to also um, have more than one event. I have another question for you. Um, and I'm not totally sure how to frame it. I think one of the things that strikes me is Again, I just came back from APA, and mm-hmm. um, it's a great conference. It's about, I think, 6,500 people. Oh, my goodness. The sessions, the content of the sessions is always top-notch. Mm-hmm. The speakers are not always top-notch. Mm-hmm. And um, it actually gets to the point where, you know, I actually went to a session where I was unbelievably interested in the topic in really wanting to understand what this particular speaker was sharing but he just did not stay on time he starts reading quickly he's you know just racing through things Mm -hmm. so you're just not even able to understand it from your perspective so if we're having all these events right we we actually are successful and we engage the community they come to an event or we go to them how important is the message versus the messenger in, in actually getting to that change, right? I mean, we're engaging the community members so that they feel a part of what we're doing. We're talking a lot. I mean, transparency is the theme of local governments and all governments yep. these days. Yep. We see that, you know, 70% of Americans still trust their local governments to get stuff done. So how can we take advantage of that, you know, get these folks engaged? And then I don't want us to mess it up at the message or the messenger side. So what do yeah. you take on that balance? Yeah, that is, you are asking a question from my own heart. So my company reveled up. One of the things, one of our philosophies is that the, everyone is a participant. And that includes the person who organizes, the person who presents, and the person who is listening to the presentation. Everyone is a participant and everyone is actually going through an experience, right? An event is essentially an experience. And so it is incredibly important. Our philosophy is that the 
messenger really needs to be just as much nurtured and prepared and and the organizers need to be attentive to the presenters as much as the attendees. Mm. And what that really does is it allows the presenters to understand their audience better. It shows that you care about them. You're not just saying, listen, I want you to come and, you know, you had this paper and it was really good, so just read it because <laughs> that's what they're coming for. Yeah. And, and, and then that, that's a disservice to everyone. But if you nurture that presenter, right, um, then they may be able to pull um, better things, better information in order to part with um, the crowd, in order to um, impart with the attendees. And also what it does is it helps the presenters know the attendees better. So the more information, and again, this is about learning and providing feedback and getting as much information from your attendees as possible, but it's about learning um, about your attendees so that you can also pass that information not only to just sponsors, but also to your presenters. Mm. Um, that's incredibly important, and that will convey the transparency um, about the information and how you function, right? You're not trying to put up smoke, smoke and whistles and, and, and all that other stuff in front of your attendees. You're actually creating a platform where everyone is, again, uh, parity and equity. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a real, this is real, right? You're mm -hmm. allowing everyone, you're saying, here is equal access to this information, and yeah. I'm allowing you, you're not trying to put up, you know, big words so that people don't understand what you're talking about. And that is going to convey and create that transparency, that authentic belief and trust that you're looking for attendees or community members to have. It's accessibility. Um, really, is it, that's what we're talking about. Um, and, and, and that's what that allows. When you nurture your presenters as much as you do your attendees, you're going to have this great flow between both of them, and that's going to create um, the transparency and the authenticity um, between them. Mm. So just one more question on that kind of line is, from a local government's perspective, because so much of this is about building trust and really creating those pathways for participation for citizens, do you think it is in the best interest um, of that relationship for the local government staff and officials to be the messengers more often than, say, consultants? Mm, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> you have good questions. Um, I will tell you that I think at all times there should be, and this is a discussion about stakeholders, right? Um, I think at all times you should have a core stakeholder always in the room, always. Um, and, and if they can be somewhat, you know, a participant without ruining the group dynamics in some way, I think that's even better. Um, because sometimes people don't want to talk because they're like, well, that's the official. And if I, you know, if I say something against them, then, you know, I don't know if they'll come back. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, if there is any way that an official can be in the room and not stifle conversation, I encourage it a great deal. However, if there is some inkling by, um, you know, the local government, the local officials, that their participation is going to hinder, then they might want to think about sending in um, someone who is not as visible, 
who's still part of the community or the, the local government but isn't as visible. And then think about having the consult. If you do have consultants or facilitators, then have them um, maybe do a focus group where someone from local government who's not as visible is in the room, right? They may be taking notes. Um, because sometimes having that person in the room is really important for takeaways mm-hmm. and, and, and getting that, that feedback. Um, and so having the consultant who may not necessarily know about the politics or the background information, someone says something in the focus group, they may not, their ears may not be in tune to it. Um, so just having someone who is from the local government, from the organization that's hosting in the room, I think is always important, um, unless it really, really is going to mess up um, the feedback that you're looking to get, um, I think is always important. That's that's my advice. Well, that's great. As a consultant who does a lot of that public engagement for my local government clients, I'm glad I'm not uh, an impact. It sounds like maybe it is actually good to have a third-party messenger in some way sharing that because there is no baggage. There is no, you know, history necessarily. It's more, hey, we're presenting what the where we want to hear from you. We want to help create a um, stronger relationship between the community and the government. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that consultants, you know, to that end, I think consultants can um, pull, you know, they can ask a question and the, you know, the attendees may not see any type of ulterior motives in a question being asked from a consultant versus, a, you know, a, a government Mm-hmm. Um, a government official. Right. And so that, you know, and, and also sometimes there's, so that's the impartiality, um, there's a lack of ulterior motives. I mean, there are, there are a lot of benefits that can work um, with using consultants. Awesome. You know, it seems to me that one of the key challenges today is, I guess, fear, um, particularly with uh, maybe immigrant populations. Um, you know, there's been some pretty ugly trends happening in the country right now um, where folks are feeling it's, you know, perfectly acceptable to just spew hatred all over the place. Um, Do you feel that this is a hindrance? I mean, I think for sure it's a hindrance to engaging your community members if you're looking at your entire community. But I guess I'd be curious to get your thoughts on if there's any workarounds. How can... How can a local government reach out um, to maybe its immigrant population in particular or anyone who's really feeling disenfranchised, particularly now um, with this kind of shift towards a what feels like um, just more vocalized hate out there? Um, what is a way to keep those community members still engaged with your processes and still having trust in your local government? Yeah. So I think those, um, I think continuously um, getting individuals involved who may feel that their voices will not be heard or feel that they are shut out, um, the idea is to consistently and authentically um, show that you are willing to hear what they have to say and that they won't be shut up. Right, um, because when you shut up, then you shut out. Mm-hmm. Right, that that's that's essentially what happens. And so, so we thought we talk about authentic a lot. That's being said around a lot. And 
you know, what do we mean by that? We mean true, real, um, genuine. And so when you're asking someone to genuinely share their opinion, um, even if you do not agree with them, that that can happen. You can have disagreement, but if it's respectfully done and they are not shut up because of that opinion, then they will see that, okay, maybe this person didn't um, agree with me, but I was still able to voice my opinion. So one of the things that I encourage anyone organizing an event is to pay attention to your facilitators and to pay attention to the environment that you have in order to have that authentic and consistent environment for openness. Um, and, and so because you are going to have individuals, when you're asking the community to come in, right, you're going to get different sectors of the community. But then what's important is to make sure that whoever you have facilitating the event um, whether it's yourself or a consultant, really understands and sets up ground rules and parameters that says and consistently says we are going to have um, open, consistent, and authentic discussion here. And you know, and then you create ground rules, and and that's going to spread. You know, other people are going to hear that, and they're going to say, "I know that I can continuously come to my community events, even with this atmosphere um, that's happening right now, because I know, regardless of if this is, you know, whatever party is ruling, you know, in my community right now, I know my voice is heard, mm-hmm. and that I think defeats all." Um, when when you when people know that they can come and express their viewpoint but still be respected, uh, now you got to get some really good facilitators and consultants. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's possible. I I do. I have faith that that is possible, and I've seen it. I've seen um, that be possible as well. Awesome. So you and I actually met recently. Um, you know, I'm working with Nashua, New Hampshire on their Livable Nashua dashboard, and we have been wanting to engage their Energy and Environment Committee, uh, some of their city staff, as well as the public to get some feedback on the tool, you know, get some ideas. And one of the things that I loved that you did for us was kind of a, a matrix of the, you know, different types of workshop, if you will, like engagement activities um and kind of gave us like okay this would be good in this situation or if you have this many people it's kind of certain criteria around those activities that to me was super helpful and i'm still using that as kind of a framework i'm wondering if for our listeners you could maybe kind of give us a the cliff notes version of you know two or three of of your favorite scenarios or activities um and talk about the pros and cons of each yeah. So one of the things that I uh, am a big proponent of is the actual working in the workshop. Um, too often, I think um, both presenters and participants come to workshops and they expect to just sit. And sometimes maybe they might look at their iPhones, um, but everyone thinks that they're sitting and listening or or talking, and 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 that's it. Those are the two the re activities that are that are happening in that room. Um, and I. I personally think that um, engagement um, and interactivity and, um, you know, those, those in working, those are things that are active verbs. And so um, sitting, I feel like, is not an active verb. So, you know, when I encourage um, these types of uh, formats, it's really to the idea that everyone is going to get up and move and really have engagement and exchange. So one of the, um, one of the kind of, um, 
formats that I uh, suggested um, was the circuit training. And that's an instance where you have individuals, you have different tables set up, and um, you assign the tables. Sometimes you're able to do so because you know who will be attending, or you assign it by giving everyone a different number, uh, one through four, and you say all the ones will sit here, and all the ones will sit, um, the twos will sit there, and the threes will sit at another table, and the fours will sit on another. And each table has a different topic. Um, and that's important to you um, in terms of getting their feedback on. And so you create a timer, and you say for seven minutes or ten minutes or however long you have with this group, um, you're going to discuss the topic that's at this table. And then once those seven minutes are over, ding, you switch to another table. So I know sometimes people think circuit training and they think about some awful workout that they're about to have at the gym, um, but this is a little different, and this is, you know, it's it's interactive and it's a it's a different way to get other people talking um, and thinking about different ideas and not be bored. Um, and another great thing is that anyone who comes, no matter what time they come, um, depending on whatever their life requires, are able to jump in and participate. Um, and so that's that's always a great and they don't need to know each other very well or know the subject very well um, in order to participate and give their ideas. Um, another um, format that I, I thought was really fun and I enjoyed kind of um, conveying it to Kim was the speedboat idea. And again, this is, you know, an activity. No one is sitting down in this activity. And essentially, you have... Um, a group of individuals who are in front of um, a drawing of a speedboat. And um, it's really a bare-bones kind of stick-figure um, speedboat. And, like, this one real, really, you know, um, stick-figured anchor. Um, and the boat represents kind of a system or a product being refuted. Um, and, and, and basically, the features that your community doesn't like um, are the anchors. And so you're, you know, these participant members may sit down and write a whole bunch of anchors. Well, it's not just about focusing on the negative because then the objective is to make this speedboat move. So they start thinking about, well, what are the gusts of wind that they could include? And the gusts of wind in the drawing are things that could um, alleviate the speedboat from dragging, that could move the speedboat forward. And so they're challenged to, you know, draw what would represent the sails of a speedboat, right? What would represent the gusts of wind that would get the speedboat moving and lift up those anchors so that the speedboat is smooth sailing? You know, what would make this system smooth sailing? So this is really a metaphor, you know, it, it functions as a metaphor, but it gets people drawing and talking and they have to stand up and draw this stuff on the speedboat. So then again, it's not sitting down, it's interacting together and exchanging ideas and working together as a group. And you may have more than one group with um, more than one speedboats to figure out different ways of, of, of solving um, an issue that may be impacting your community. And um, I just wanted to ask a clarification on that yeah. speedboat, because I, I yeah. do love that idea. Um, what are people, so are they writing what the challenges are on the anchor and then what the opportunities are to overcome those challenges on the speedboat? Is that what they're that's, writing on it? That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. They're, yeah, they're, they're drawing and they're charting um, and the wind arrows reflect positive forces for change. You know, things that are going to, um, are moving or can move the, the project or product or service towards its goal. Um, and, and that's, that's what I love about it.
So cool. I love those examples. Um, I think those are great for our listeners to think about and take home. And, you know, we're always hearing that everybody wants a different way to engage. Um, And these kind of fit along with, you know, more and more folks are talking about gamification and, Mm -hmm. you know, how to turn everything into games. What is your take on, I mean, some of these are kind of, the speedboat is sort of a game, but not totally. I mean, what is your take on incorporating games into these these events? Yeah, so I will tell you that um, I just recently heard that um, it was a it, everything is competitive, and um, I believe it was um, a, a magazine or newspaper that had really really low readership. And then um, they started posting that for everyone who, um, you know, whoever had the most amount of of tweets or who had signed up or or something like that, then they they would get some prize. That newspaper ended up having the highest readership that they'd had in months, in months because of the fact that they just gamified how to sign up for their newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people are really, um, this is something that's really appealing to them um, to win. Something is really appealing. And so community, you know, officials, community officials would, um, I think, you know, in looking at how they could gamify, um, you know, the community events that they have or um, thinking about how do I gamify a public message that I'm trying to get out to my community. Um, it, it works. And if the prizes are good enough, if the incentive is strong enough, people will come out and, and they will. And, and please, you know, when I say that the incentive is good enough, you don't have to be offering $1,000. You literally could have once every week you get one person to have a buffet, all you can eat at the local Waffle House, that may be sufficient. So <laughs> it, it doesn't always have to be good, you know, like, or what everybody else would think of off the charts, you know, it can be something simple as well. That's super interesting. Are you aware of any research that shows um, the impact? I mean, so gamification is really good to get participation is it valuable in kind of creating that longer term behavior change have you are you aware of any research on something like that i'm not aware of any research but i will say this um from a marketing perspective um the email still you know there are a lot of individuals who will say email marketing is dead there are a lot of individuals who will talk about that you know people are not reading their emails anymore. That just is not true. And if you, um, I don't have research, but I, if you look at any marketer's tweet feed or any um, blogs on marketing, they will tell you that email marketing is not dead. And so I will say, after you've gamified something, get that email address mm-hmm. because that's how you're going to reach people to come out to your events. That's how you're going to let them know that they're happening. That's how you'll let them know if you're going to have another gamification, if you're having a workshop, get those email addresses. That's really what you're looking for. Great. Okay. Well, this has been, I, this has been so, it's such an interesting conversation. And of course, Emmy, I could talk to you for days. Um, <laughs> there's so many interesting perspectives that I think. I know there's bring. so many facets that we could kind of, you know, I feel rabbit our whole ourselves into. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess just to wrap for today, um, I wonder if you could share with us kind of, you know, what are those three 
key things to really having successful, equitable engagement? What would be those like top three or the, just the three ways to get started, best practice? What are those key things for you? Yeah, I would say the three um, takeaways or, or best practices um, for community engagement or just engagement with your audience would be to strategically think about how you're going to engage them and why you're engaging them. Um, really taking a look at what's your outcome. Why are you wanting them um, to come out and listen to what you have to say? Um, what's the outcome that you're looking for? And once you identify the outcome, um, then thinking about how are you going to equitably get them to the table? How are you going to pay attention to what they need to get to that table um, so that they're able to get you your outcome? Um, and, and so being intentional about that. And I would say the final thing is that feedback um, getting that feedback and um, engaging with them about the feedback, you know, finding out what is it that they want, um, how do they want to get the information. Um, those three things are really going to be the ways, um, the best ways that, that you can encourage um, the equitable engagement. Well, I just can't thank you enough for joining um, the SAS Talk with Kim podcast today. This has been such an interesting conversation, so timely and I think so very important um, as we kind of continue driving towards sustainable communities. I think making sure everyone has a voice uh, is really essential to that. We don't get there otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And thank you for allowing me to come come and speak to your audience. I this is I always love speaking with you and talking about um, environmental sustainability and, and justice. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?